the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond in the podcast studio. And I have Tom Allen with me today. Tom? Afternoon. How are you again, Jason? And sit up straight. I'm, I'm trying to sit up straight. I feel like I'm slouching a little bit more than I usually do. Because we have the... the <laughs> Would this be the boss's, boss's, boss's boss? I, I think that's probably how we should refer to him at this point. All right. Today in the studio, we have Dr. Keith Coble, who is the new vice president of agriculture for Mississippi State. So welcome, Dr. Coble. Thanks for having me. What a cool deal to have somebody of your station right here in Stoneville with us. So, And my first podcast. All right. Well, good. So I'm a rookie. <laughs> so we're supposed to make him feel comfortable. It's only like Tom's fifth. It's only fifth in this role. I think I've done more than that. Yeah. No, no. Certainly, Tom, you're doing, doing a good job. Well, Dr. Coble, again, can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day uh, to spend with us. So why don't you tell us where you come from, what you've done up to this point, and then you know, we'll get into your new role sure. with Mississippi State. Sure. Well, I tell a lot of people that I grew up on a dairy farm, which makes you really want to go to college. Uh, started out thinking I want to be an ag teacher. Did that for a while. Met my wife. Uh, then I decided that I wanted to go teach at a university. Now, wait, are you from Mississippi? I am from southern Missouri. Okay. As hilly as the Delta is flat. All right, what part of southern Missouri? East of Springfield, Missouri, a little town called Mountain Grove. Okay. Well, if it's got mountain in the name, it just yes. goes without saying. That's it's right. Going. It's usually not flat. Yeah, It's no usually not flat. That's right. And so uh, went to grad school at Texas A&M, worked in Washington, D.C. for about five years, and then got a, an offered uh, job here at Mississippi State 23 years ago. So when you were in Washington, D.C., did you overlap with Dr. Keenum when he was there? I did a little bit. Uh, I was working at the USDA Economic Research Service. Uh, he was working for Senator Cochran. And then I got hired at Mississippi State uh, in 1997. Okay. That was the year I graduated from LSU. I'm trying to think Tom, where I was. Tom, what were you doing in 1997? <laughs> 97, I think, master's student, Auburn. Came in with uh, an eight-week-year, eight-week-old baby who's now a grad student at the University of Arkansas. Coincidentally, my wife and I have a 12-week-old baby, so I can, I can only imagine having to <laughs> move uh, from Washington, D.C. to start with one younger than that. Got here and, and loved it and never left. So in that time when you were on the, the faculty at Mississippi State, what was your primary interest in your program? I was uh, in the ag econ department, kind of specialized in agricultural risk. Did a lot of work on crop insurance, farm policy, uh, various uh, aspects of, you know, yield risk, price risk, things like that. Worked in the department for several years. Actually, uh, in 2013 and 14, uh, went back to Washington, D.C. on a part-time basis and worked for Senator Cochran's staff on the Ag Committee. So I spent better part of two years up there on Capitol Hill uh, working to write the 2014 Farm Bill. And, but, but never really left home and came right back to the department then. So working in that area while you were on the faculty, 
what do you think was the biggest change in ag econ during that time you know as it relates to to the farmers oh i i think you know i really went to grad school because i wanted to teach farm management got got to teach in farm policy and never have taught farm management but uh, I just look at the way we manage today, the data we use, the machinery we use, the whole technology. For example, when I came to Mississippi, the way we were growing soybeans at that time in this state was really risky. Uh, and I see the way we grow soybeans now, and it's, it's advanced so much, early season growing systems, things like that that I think the university had a lot to do with helping farmers adopt. So that's one of the things that I often tell people about. At the time, the time you got here, we'd had a very small percentage of our acres would have been Roundup ready. Exactly. So there would still been a lot of extra stuff going on just for weed control, not to mention all the other parts of management of soybean crop too. And a lot of late planted beans that were really, you know, subject to a lot of drought situations and, I, I just look at the way we produce now, and I, uh, I think back to those days and what, what advances that our farmers have made with the help of the university. And that would have been pre, pre-soybean rust time. So, <laughs> I was just going to say. Plant pathology wouldn't have been a, a big deal then. No. A big interest, uh, not a big deal. But You had the implementation of smart program at the university. The bulk of your consulting crew has started to scout beans through that period of time. That's, Early soybean production system. That's right. Shift to the ESPS as a result of mot making, reducing the risk from drought and pests at the end of the season. And, yeah, absolutely. And I think most of our other major crops track with that. I mean, there's been just right. sweeping changes in rice and, and cotton, too, So uh, and, and corn. Bring us up to, you know, what you've done in more recent times. Well, a, a year ago, uh, approximately, Reuben Moore, who was the interim VP, called me up one day and said, can you come over here and ask me to help out? And I'm I was kind of like, well, what's Reuben? Why did he pick me? And and I went over there. He'd moved on to be the interim vice president, and and he was also the head of MAFIS doing double duty, and it was a big job. And so I came in to help him. Then as the process moved forward, uh, I kind of saw what went on in the VP's office, and and uh, when it came time to apply for the job. I threw my hat in the ring and, you know, there's so many good things going on at Mississippi State in the Ag Division. It, it was, you know, we're a, we're a top 12 land-grant university in the Ag Natural Resource Area. I mean, we're, we're one of the best in the country. So there's a lot of good things going on. So it was, it, it's just been an honor for me to get chosen to be the Vice President of Agriculture. Where do you see something like the experiment station system going over the next five to ten years? One of the things that it, it strikes me is that what agriculture, there are so many dimensions to the, we're going to change agriculture one way or another. You know, the production systems, the technology, data that we get from our machinery, the way we control insects, the way we control uh, diseases, it's just a really dynamic time in agriculture, and we're, we're kind of caught between 
efforts to produce sustainably and feed a world that's hungry. And so I think the thing that we really need to focus on in the ag division is, is the future. The future is coming. Do we get to help define it, or is it going to just happen to us and run over the top of us? And I think our farmers perceive that. Uh, our scientists perceive that as well. And so I think we've got to really think about, you know, what, how can we make agriculture different five years from now? And our scientists do that. Did it back our example that we were using in 1997, we're going to keep doing that. And so what is it? Where do we need to go next? The future of ag is starting now. And I think attracting more young scientists to that and continuing to educate students as we're doing at Mississippi State University in Starkville and continuing to expose everybody within the Division of Agriculture to what's going on and how important agriculture is because it is still important. And in a lot of cases, it's not just important at the farm level. There are things that go on Mm -hmm. outside and off the farm that continue that. And I think in a lot of cases, People even listening to this, some people within our profession and sometimes on the periphery of our profession don't necessarily see that, and we certainly probably don't talk about that as much as we should. Absolutely. I I think it's kind of exciting to me to come out here and to see what you're doing. I was just over at the Water Center a few minutes ago taking a look at what they're doing uh, with all the scientists across the railroad tracks here at, at ARS. You know, the various crops, the various things that we do here on this station. This is one of the truly major off-campus research stations in the country. People don't know how many scientists are here at this station and all the things that we've got going on. And to, to be frank about it, you know, agriculture is still a really big deal in Mississippi. And that's not true in some other states. And I've I've got colleagues that are in leadership at land-grant universities in other states, and they've got a lot of money and and resources, but I'm like, but you're not important in that state. And, And one of the things that has always been clear to me since I arrived in 1997 is Mississippi State University is important to the state of Mississippi. People appreciate us. People expect us to help them with their problems. And that's not true everywhere. It's good to be needed. Uh, And I was in the state capitol last week. And the legislature knows that we're relevant. We're engaged. The other thing that I will say, and you guys probably saw this as well, with COVID-19, I think it's amazing the way our scientists found a way to continue to do science. Our extension faculty continue to do training and outreach in this state, even when the whole country was shut down. And in a lot of respects, 2020 was one of the best years we've had in a long time. On my level, once it dried up, we just went to work. Yeah. And after that, it really wasn't any different than than any year previous. And the fact that uh, in terms of grants and contracts, the Ag Division set a record last year in terms of how many grants and contracts. Our scientists wrote those proposals are funding grad students, they're funding postdocs, they're leveraging the, the money that we get from the state government with additional dollars that just let us do more work for the state of Mississippi. And I know I can speak for Tom, 
because he's been around and worked some different places too. And I think we can second what you're saying. I mean, I've I've worked other places that I've never been as supported as well as what I have been since I've been at Mississippi State, which is a, a long time now. I would like to come back to something that you mentioned. People don't quite understand, or, or maybe Tom mentioned that beyond the farm, they don't have a full concept of what all goes on. And I think also a division of agriculture within the university. I mean, people think about the College of Ag, if they have a son or daughter mm-hmm. that's in the College of Ag and Life Sciences on campus, or they might think about their local extension office, or they might think about us. Right. But then that's all part of the same thing. So why don't you explain to our listeners kind of how the division of ag works from top to bottom or bottom to top either way? Absolutely. It's huge. We're a major piece of the university. We'll start with extension. The extension programs are through the ag division. And so our county extension offices, our regional people, and our specialists are all that are a part of extension uh, is a big lot of what we do. I've heard it all my career, but I hear it even more now. You know, Mississippi State has a footprint in all 82 counties. Other universities don't have that. And people come to us all the time saying, hey, don't you have offices in 82 counties? And like, yes, we do. And a lot of times they come to us for help for things because we have that kind of reach. Then we have uh, the experiment station, MAFIS. Uh, We have the FWRC, the Forestry and Wildlife Research Center, works in the forestry and wildlife and and resources area. We have the vet school, which is the truest professional school we have at Mississippi State. Graduate programs there for veterinarian practices, people working in all kinds of areas, small animal, large animal, great programs. Interesting side note, the vet school's been essential to the university's response to COVID-19. They set themselves up to do rapid testing for faculty and students. That's been an integral part of how the university's kept its doors open during COVID-19 is because of the testing system that they've put up. And of course, they're tied in to aquaculture here in Stoneville and things like that. And ultimately, you've got three colleges, College of Agriculture and Life Science, College of Forest Resources, and College of Veterinary Medicine. So a lot of people, 1,500 people work in the division. When I look that number up, I'm like, wow, that's a lot. And, And when you start talking about the experiment stations, we have units all over the state, different soil types, different production systems, livestock, crops, specialty crops, fruits and vegetables. And even though I've been here 23 years, since I got this job, I'm learning something new about the division every day. Oh, I can only imagine. Uh, and, and I think we all do that. Like Tom and I with majority extension appointments, there's a whole big part of extension that we just don't have a concept of because that's not mm-hmm. – we don't interact with those people. 1,500 people. Tom, how many people you got working for you? Not 1,500, but it's – you know, yeah, six, my, six, seven, or eight. Yeah, my number's somewhere <laughs> south of there. Yeah. Well, it scared me when I saw that number. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's a, me too. that's a lot of people. I, and I don't even know how that compares with a, a corporation that would be a private corporation. But, I mean, that's got to be a, a large organization. Absolutely. And they're doing so many different things in so many places. You know, yesterday I are having a discussion about issues on the coast. 
off campus there and and you just every day there's there's something new that pops on my radar screen or work on sea turtles and dolphins part of the division a little different than what you two guys do but it's marine veterinary science is an important thing Jason and I spent a good bit of talking time talking yesterday and even then this morning some a little bit through text messaging but so we wouldn't look like idiots when he got here. That, that's right. So we didn't fumble over things. But A, agriculture is something we're pretty passionate about. We both have research and extension appointments, and I'm definitely majority extension. I'm an 80% extension, 20% research appointment. I can't remember what Jason is off the top. He may be. I think I'm 75, 25 now, extension. Okay. You've talked about and discussed and described really the division of ag, but how do you see extension and research really complementing each other? Because they are two separate entities, at least at the university and within that system. That's a really important question. I think that's a lot of what makes a land-grant university a land-grant university is because we have those pieces. We have to be relevant to the people in the state. That's, That's the word I like to use. A lot of PhDs do not like to hear this, but we don't really get to define relevant. Come on. (laughs) Could you repeat that? We don't get to define relevant. The clientele, the farmers of this state that you guys work for, if they see a need of our work, then we'll know it. And if they don't see a need, we've got to scratch our head and ask ourselves why. Amen. There are scientists who just like to go in their lab or their office and think about interesting things. And, you know, if you aren't kind of intellectually curious, why did you get a Ph.D.? But we are expected to be relevant. For many years, I had a research appointment, did not have an extension appointment. But I always valued coming over here to the Delta, talking to farmers And I I can't tell you how many times I've driven back to Starkville thinking about something that a farmer said to me that he probably didn't even know set off bells in my head about what I should be doing. And even as recently as last year, I came over here, had a conversation with some farmers, and on the way home, I'm thinking like, you know, the way I've been modeling that risk management problem is not right. I walked in the office the next day and told the people I was working with, you know, we need to tweak the way we're doing it. So I, and the other side of it is research and extension ought to be working together seamlessly. Rest assured, it does not always happen. I certainly have seen other places where there was jealousy, there was division. We've got to constantly respect one another between research and extension. And if somebody is, is 100% on one side of that or, or the other, that, that's okay. But I think we're supposed to be a team. And the teaching fits in there as well. I tend to think of the teaching research and extension component as being a three-legged stool, that we've got to constantly always make sure that, that those legs are attached and that they are the same length. Yeah, I know Tom's been teaching Clyde, you've been teaching this whole semester? No, I, I guest lecture somewhere on the order of eight to ten times a semester for a couple of classes in the department just because some of those faculty over there don't have the expertise in some of the row crops that I do, and they ask, you know, could you guest lecture? And I, and I always, I enjoy it. Uh, I don't 
sometimes feel like I put as much time into it maybe as I should just because I haven't updated a couple of things uh, in the recent past. But it, it's good experience. It's good exposure. And we've talked about that at the, at the VP level a little bit is that oftentimes the expert on a particular topic is here in Stoneville. They're not in Starkville. And the interesting thing that I think has come out of COVID-19 is we've learned how to use technology a lot better than we knew before COVID-19. And so we've got better equipment. We're better able to utilize somebody by distance than we were before COVID-19. I I think we've kind of pushed ourselves forward several years in terms of using technology like a podcast uh, because we had to do it during 2020. There's a slew of graduate students in our building. I, I don't know how mm-hmm. many there are. Tom's got students. Jeff Gore, Don Cook have students. You know, there's a lot of them at Stoneville. And over the years, some of the classes have been offered distance. Some of them have been online classes. Mm-hmm. But, but then there's always you know, a lab class or something that you just had to be in person. But I think this year more so than than previous years the classes you know they've been here more they've done less traveling back and forth to take their classes and of course they're still going for labs Mm -hmm. and stuff like I said but yes sir I I agree with that we have a lot more opportunity for those kids now than what we've had in the past and that and that makes it easier for a grad student to be out here working on a project in the delta that's relevant while they're taking classes at the same time. In the years Jason and I have been here, and Jason, we started about a year before I did, 06. I got here in 07. There were very few graduate students. That doesn't students. mean I'm older than Tom. No, 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 because, because actually <laughs> I am just a little bit older than Jason, not much. But there were very few graduate students here when I started, and certainly when you started. And I, I mean, I can recall two, yeah, really. Two. There were two, and there may have been then fast forward to year three. Yeah. And now there are, I don't even know. Yeah, I, I'm not even sure. Any given year, there's something on. There's it's north of 12, and yeah. it's probably somewhere between 15 and 20 because we're not including some of the students that are in warm water aquaculture, <laughs> some of the kids that are down the road now at the West Farm. So we're probably somewhere 15. And then to there's 20. students that stay on campus, but that's right. Advisor, someone over here. Mm-hmm. So the nice opportunity with a distance learning and and b we're we're close two and a half hours on a bad day to campus one way is not not terrible for students. But I, I think we're just going to keep seeing that with technology, we're we're going to make this world smaller. Back in my home department, we started an online degree program a couple of years ago. It's in one hundred percent online. We've got students from all over the country other countries, doesn't matter. And so I, I think one thing that we've got to understand in COVID-19, not everything that we did well on teaching was, was great because we scrambled and hurried up and did some things. But there are a lot of things that you can do online that we didn't and do it well. I was teaching a class when COVID-19 hit last year where it was about policy. We had a lot of discussion. And I'm like, well, that's I'm going to lose the discussion. I go online. Well, come find out online there's a mechanism that we could do discussions uh, that actually in some respects work better than when we did it in person. And I was amazed that that what I thought was going to be the worst part of going online actually turned out to be the best part. Know your audience, right? Your your target audience is much more technologically savvy than even 
Tom and I are. So <laughs> that was tongue in cheek, Tom. You're supposed <laughs> to laugh. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, look, my actual children can do things. Ward will regularly run into the room and say, hey, watch this. You can do this on my phone. And I'm like, I don't even know how you figured out how to do that. I'm a lot older than you, and I have no idea what you just well, did. Our four-year-old is the same way. She won't talk on the phone, but she will FaceTime. Yep. Yeah. I know. My kids are <laughs> like that, too. They have no idea how to embrace actually talking on the phone. To your point, the students embracing that, of course, that would be the audience of the classroom. They know how they learn, or they should know how they learn by the time they mm-hmm. get into those upper-level classes, and hopefully they contribute some back and, Absolutely. and help move that, move that system forward. Well, Dr. Coble, we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know you're busy. I know you got a deadline to make. So before we go, why don't you tell folks that are listening, you know, one or two things that you want them to know about Mississippi State and the Mississippi State Division of Agriculture? Well, one of the things that I want people to know about the division, when you, when you think about how we work on health promotions, we work on food and nutrition, we work on agriculture, we work on forestry, veterinary science, uh, we ob- obviously touch agriculture, but at the end of the day, we touch every citizen in the state of Mississippi. And I want us to really focus in the next few years on how are, are we going to make the state of Mississippi better? Because uh, I think Mississippi State is the university that uh, I read a book to get ready for my interview about being a servant university, which was an interesting terminology to use. But the the authors of that book were arguing that we're funded by the state legislature to serve the people of this state. And that's a role that we ought to be proud to fill. Well, I should say, you know, thank you. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come and and visit with us today. I, I think that's important. Helps us understand some things about even what goes on within the university that we work for. And as usual, you know, we really appreciate our listeners taking the time out of their busy day to listen to us. And if you need something from any one of us, we're always here. By all means, the invitation is open. Any Anytime you have a message you want to get out, we can get it out at least as far as the people that listen to this show. So anytime you want to come back, you're always welcome. All right. I'll, I'll be back frequently. We appreciate it. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.